0: So this morning we're actually going to begin the instructions with a short talk. Gina and I are sharing, in a way, a Dharma talk. Um, Just the number of evenings and the number of teachers, and we were all so eager to give up our talk, oh no, that's okay, I don't (laughs) mind. it's fine with me, I don't live on the East Coast, they're mostly not my students, it's fine with me. Um, we were very generous and gracious uh, to one another, And however, no one gets to escape. And uh, So I'm giving a brief talk this morning and then Gina will continue this evening, which is very liberating for me and appropriate. <laughs> for talking about the third noble truth which is our favorite one actually about the cessation of suffering. Because um, anything that I leave out of course Gina <laughs> will remember to include. And it's, it's a great moment when we're called upon to actually walk our talk and embody what we are teaching. And One of the things that I've been teaching in the groups a lot, and it has to do with uh, this third truth of the ending of suffering that I'm talking about this morning, um, is that the content of our experience doesn't really matter. What matters is our relationship to it, and even further, the content of our experience what the content is doesn't matter for an even more profound reason which is that when we're aware of our experience, of the content of our experience, then it becomes the content of our awakening. And this morning I was preparing this little talk during the time that you were quietly meditating down here and Um, and Gina and I had coordinated, we spent a couple hours working together yesterday, and uh, in my paperless mode, of course, I wrote everything on my computer, my brand new computer, this is the first week I'm using it, and uh, it did something, I don't know what. (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't know if, I don't own a television, I haven't for a long time, but they used to have, late at night, these test patterns that were like lines across the <laughs> screen. Just So the computer did these lines across the screen, and then underneath, everything was gibberish. Um, but I wasn't too worried because, right, auto-recovery, save. Except that we had been in the process of working, so it wasn't saved. But I didn't realize that, blessedly. <laughs> until this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, so last night I was tired and Gina kind of wanted to talk a little more about our talk. I said, no, no, you know, we, we're done. We, <laughs> and when I discovered that it wasn't saved, really it was a moment of, oh no, what time is it? Palms a little sweaty, uh, right? The heart contracted and suddenly the content of my experience mattered very much. Very much. And I thought of this teaching... it still mattered. (laughs) And I thought, it's so easy to say these things to you. (laughs) Just sit up here and tell you these beautiful teachings. Um, but then in a crunch moment when it matters, uh, can I really find a way to let it go? And uh, it was kind of beautiful example of the refuges because the first refuge was the awareness. Okay, this is the situation. This is my reaction to it. Uh, then remembering the teaching. That I give, <laughs> and seeing, okay, is it possible to just be with this experience with some measure of peacefulness, um, dispassion, equanimity? Luckily, Jean is talking about that part tonight, and uh, and then the sangha, uh, the community of each other, the support of each other. So of course, I ran to the dining hall and told Gina what had happened, and she had some handwritten notes that she gave me, and then Leela offered to help. You know, we support each other, and so this experience became a kind of um, expression of these refuges. So both Jack and Leela showed how these the second and third truths, they really go together. You can't so much talk. Well, we don't want so much to talk about one without the other. Um, the second one being the way that we create suffering—that the mind hangs on to things out of its um, deep, deep ignorance, grasping, clinging, wanting, lusting, longing, all of that—to um, what's here, um, wishing you know what's here wouldn't be here, and so forth. And and then the third one is the freedom from all that. And what's so great is that Pat actually introduced this third truth right in the very first meditation instruction when he suggested that each time you notice that the mind has wandered away into being distracted, that it's wandered into the past or the future, wandered away from here, celebrate that moment. And it's kind of counterintuitive instruction because often we feel dismay or discouragement or disappointment, you know, gone again. Um, and we know there's a whole lot of distraction, a whole lot of thinking going on, and, uh, and people are very honest in the meetings. You know, well, maybe out of an hour I was present for 10 seconds. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but... No. But sometimes it feels like that. Uh, Leila just said, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was just a brilliant weaving of very basic meditation instructions and um, the highest truth of liberation and freedom. Because when we celebrate, why would we celebrate that moment of noticing that the mind has wandered? Why? Any guess? Because we're waiting. Yes. Because at that moment, we're awake. At that moment, there's mindfulness. Our mindful awareness has kicked in and realized the truth of what's happening. And in that moment of realization, we're here again. We're right back here. And that is the place, the only place, that we can find freedom, or the sure heart's release, is here. It's really nowhere else that we have to be and live our life. And that's why we revere the present moment and we talk about the present moment and we try to be present in the present moment because it's the only place that um, transformation or freedom can happen for us. You know, and Leela talked last night about these five painful strategies of disconnection or separation from experience. We sometimes call them the five hindrances to being present, um, all of these expressions of that, that second truth. And for, in the text it says, okay, so what is, well they say, now what is the noble truth of the origin of stress? The craving that makes for further becoming, um, for sensuality, for non-becoming, and for sensuality it means just the desire for sense objects. Um, Yesterday I went back in the kitchen and asked Sarah, where is the gluten-free bread, because I wanted a piece of toast. And Sarah said to me, well we serve bread on Tuesdays and Fridays. It was Thursday. (laughs) And I said, well um, I just want a piece of toast um, and the breakfast has been put away and she said, and I said I just, I know that, that it's, you know I just don't know where you keep the gluten free bread and, um, and she looked at me and said there was oatmeal for breakfast and I said I know but um, I just want a piece of toast. And, She said, wait, if you have special needs, please go to the front desk. (laughs) Um, So this is the desire for a sensual object. um, Desire for something that's not currently happening. Um, That's the uh, desire, the becoming part. Or the not becoming, which is the desire to stop what is happening, which I did by saying, you know, I'm actually one of the teachers, um, and that was, I think, very relieving for her because um, if one of you had gone back and acted that way, um, <laughs> um, it would not have been very welcome, let's just say. Not that it was welcome from me either, but she could just show me where the gluten-free bread was then. Um, and. So the short definition of this third noble truth, um, I'll read it to you, I love it, and what is the noble truth of the cessation of stress? The remainderless fading and... Fading, isn't that beautiful? Like just the fading or vanishing of our um, distress and suffering and uh, all of it. The remainderless fading and cessation, relinquishment, release, letting go of that very craving Um, and the short route of course is to understand that the content of experience actually doesn't matter it's the waking up that matters not what we're waking up to the passages from the texts make the point that um, this craving, longing, wanting, suffering, it has to be brought to the stopping, the cessation, the fading away, the vanishing, right at the place where it arises. So the traditional way is to realize that the object of our craving isn't really worth it. I mean, does the toast matter that much? Or you can start to look closely at the toast and see, Um, I don't know the air pockets in it and and maybe it's a little stale you can start to sort of try to make it less less attractive to you Um, and you can evoke the Buddha's teaching you know thoughts and it's all divided into basic two categories the things that lead to awakening the things that don't is this toast gonna really lead me to awakening um, or not the toast might, if I'm really aware of eating it, but the longing for it definitely won't, um, or the reaction to not <laughs> being given it. Um, or the other way, which is really more what we're teaching, and I for I think it's a lot easier to do, is to just create space around whatever the longing is. Uh, so the, the longing itself, the wanting, the Becomes the subject of our awareness that we can be mindful of this, and by being mindful, we don't have to completely identify it with it, make our whole, you know, who we are ride on whether or not it happens or doesn't. Um, uh, Gina was reminding me of a moment, I guess, I don't know what year it was, in the Academy Awards when um, one actress received the Oscar for best actress and she just rushed up to the stage and she stood there and said you like me you really like me I thought she was being a little bit um, ironic but apparently not Um, (laughs) so that's what we would call being very identified with you know, making an experience, a story about how good we are, how bad we are, how much somebody likes us or doesn't like us, um, all that identification. all these things really are, um, of course they're just thoughts in our mind, but they're thoughts that carry. They really pack a wallet. They matter to us. And yet, simply being mindful about them allows us to let them go. Uh, I want to make so the this point is that we can be free right where we are. That our freedom, that the ending, the fading away, the dropping of whatever suffering we're currently caught in, that that has to happen right in the midst of the experience that we're having. And this is another um, aspect of refuge. The refuge in the Buddha. The refuge in our awareness. The fact that we can actually go for refuge through any door uh, which then becomes a Dharma door for us. And all we have to do, (laughs) all we have to do is be mindful. Um, I read somewhere somebody said, you know, just walk to the nearest exit, right? Uh, walk, don't run, because if we run, that would be craving the exit, and we can't get out. But if we walk, we can walk through the door of sore knees, of burning shoulders. We can walk through the door of regret, guilt, loneliness, of peace, of joy, of sorrow, of rage. We can really walk through any door and find that transformation—that suddenly, the content of the experience doesn't matter as much as awakening to the simple fact of this is how it is. This is what it's like to be a human being who wants a piece of toast, or who uh, is nervous because she lost her notes, or who—I mean—we can connect then with that particular. Doorway of our own um, discomfort, sorrow, stress, whatever it is, through that particular doorway we connect to the universal experience. Oh, this is what it's like to be a human being who is heartbroken. This is what being heartbroken feels like. It's like this. And then we join that more universal experience of. All beings who've ever had a broken heart of our humanity. Uh, this is a poem by uh, Adrian Rich called "Power," and it's about the power of transformation that I'm talking about from the second to the third truth. She says, "Today I was reading about Marie Curie." She must have known she suffered from radiation sickness, her body bombarded for years by the element she had purified. It seems she denied to the end the source of the cataracts on her eyes, the cracked and separating skin of her finger ends till she could no longer hold a test tube or a pencil. She died a famous woman denying Her wounds, denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. So when we have the courage to realize and not deny, to come back to this moment of experience and and celebrate even though the moment I mean we might have been distracted into I don't know the 50th time we downloaded that horrible movie about the time when we or they or right I mean we would never download it that many times from Netflix but anyway we do it here and um, and we celebrate not that movie or, but the fact that we woke up the fact that we realized, oh, even this terrible movie, you know, this has to do with the power to transform experience by creating that space of awareness, by slowing into an experience long enough to see what it is, stopping, experiencing some stillness, being quiet, aware, connecting with that uh, third truth, that we can be free where we are, and that freedom and liberation are here for every one of us. They're big words, right? Liberation, freedom, they're big words, and we can get frustrated if we're aiming for that once-and-for-all kind, salvation. Um, I'm going to do this five-day retreat, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Free for life, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But if we really understand uh, that teaching that over and over and over again, we realize we come back, we've been lost, the minute we notice and make a light note lost, we're not lost anymore. We're in that space of awareness. We're in our capacity to bear witness to life, to suffering, to the many beings that inhabit our heart. And, you know, yesterday somebody told me a very very sad and upsetting story of someone she loves who is dying and she can't be with him because of just family dynamics and things happen in the emotional vortex surrounding uh, dying, death and dying. And uh, just listening, there really wasn't anything I could say or do except to listen and so uh, it's a particular kind of listening, though, that we're cultivating here in our meditation, a kind of listening that expresses the fullness of our presence, an open, not judgmental listening to ourselves, making room for another, for, for experience, drawing our attention in, taking that, uh, what Dogen Zenji um, 13th century Zen master called the backward step, just stepping back into that space of stillness and receptivity and spaciousness. And listening to her that way was the best I could offer. And later she wrote a note saying, thank you, that really helped. And it does, doesn't it? It really helps when we can listen to ourselves that way, to each other that way without any idea of helping, without any idea of liberation or salvation or enlightenment or awakening. Uh, Just being here. Just listening. Um, So I want to close this talk with a Mary Oliver poem, which is about her listening and seeing and being still in this way that has to do with the vanishing of all our ideas about how things are and how we are and all of it. She says, look, it's just the last part of a poem, look, I want to love this world as though it's the last chance I'm ever going to get to be alive and know it. Sometimes in late summer, I won't touch anything, not the flowers, not the blackberries brimming in the thickets. I won't drink from the pond. I won't name the birds or the trees. I won't whisper my own name. That quiet. One morning, the fox came down the hill, glittering and confident, and didn't see me. And I thought, so this is the world. I'm not in it. It's beautiful. So when we can be that still and create that much space and openness, for experience, um, we don't need to be in it. And when we don't need to have it be a story about who we are or aren't or might be or could have been, if only, etc., uh, then it really is beautiful. It's just how it is here this morning together. about to do some meditation, actually already. Hearing the birds and listening. So thank you for listening. So let's sit together I'll give a little bit of instruction. And then we'll still have uh, some time for questions or comments. As you settle into the body, you might try just moving the body back a quarter of an inch, taking that backward step. And notice what happens when instead of leaning toward experience, leaning into the next moment, what happens when we step back?